the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Alex, one half of Be Sober. And I'm Lisa, the other half. If you're new to our podcast, Lisa and I have been best friends since high school. And after many years of getting drunk together pretty much every weekend, we've decided to experiment with being sober together. We really haven't got time to tell you all about that now, but if you go right back to the beginning of our podcast series, you'll find out all about it there. This season, we're super excited to be working with Wise Bartender and can't wait to sample and, of course, tell you about their 450 plus alcohol-free drinks. So whether you're after some alcohol-free beers, ciders, wines, cocktails or spirits, then check them out. We absolutely love that they're a growing family business. They've got a fantastic ethos around making sure quality alcohol-free drinks are accessible for absolutely everyone. As well as having alcohol-free equivalents, they also have an amazing range of kombuchas and sodas, along with a number of curated packs. Shop the range at wisebartender.co.uk and get 5% off with our code BESOBER5. Hello! Hi. Hi, everyone. So Lisa's been asking how everyone is. You know I'm uncomfortable with this. So do you want to... <laughs> how are you all? I hope you don't answer that on Canal Banks or anywhere. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right. So today we are actually, from our perspective, on recording four. I actually feel drunk on podcasts. <laughs> I was thinking I feel a bit funny, but it might be coffee and donuts. I have li- what? <laughs> I didn't know you've been eating donuts. <laughs> I've turned into an American copper. But um, yeah, I have literally, I don't know why I did this, right? But when I went shopping yesterday, I bought a massive box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, I'm jealous now. I really want to be there. Yeah, but I've had like, so I ate one in the car on the way home and then I ate another one. And then I got up this morning and I had one for breakfast. And then when I started talking, there, I can see them in my eye line. And if I have another, it would be my third one today. Be nice. Yeah, but once you've had one, like... That should be enough. <laughs> no, and now I'm pointing at them and I want to go and get them. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, you can't get them just yet because we've got another episode of around about 30 minutes. Do you want to tell people straight away or are we going to have a little chat? Let's have a little chat. Let's have a little chat. You know what we'll chat about? Last week's podcast. Oh, go on then. Let's chat about that then. So we had the twins on last week and they, did they say they were 26? I think so, yeah, they did. So they said they were, bearing in mind this is only an hour ago for us, so it's not that old, right? It was a week ago for you, but we've already forgotten. That's what I mean, drunk on podcast. But yeah, they were 26. And at the end of the podcast, when we switched off, Lisa said to me, or I wish I wish I'd got sober younger. And I said, I know instead of being a pair of dickheads, wasting our entire 30s pissed. That's what it feels like. Honestly, I try and look back and you know, you know how grateful I am and how much you no, know, I am Anna. Like I love it and I love being sober and all that. And I look and I'm grateful for my whole life. But I feel bad saying it on myself because I think you shouldn't talk to yourself like this. But I'm also really pissed off with myself that I didn't get sober younger, that I didn't know that you could get sober younger. 
that I thought that I had to drink to be confident, that I thought I had to drink to have fun, that I thought I had to drink to be a grown up, to socialise, to to live my life. I just so mad that I never knew there was another way. But I, right, I think you can remove the guilt out of this situation because I don't think that's your fault. I know, but it annoys me that like what I've done is, you know, when people are self-development and learning about themselves and the breaking cycles and all that. Yeah. And Well, I never, I feel like I didn't give the opportunity to my children. I didn't break the cycle for my children. So like by the time I'd stopped, they were already older. So I look at Beth, who is 23 and she drinks like I used to drink. So if she's pissed off, she'll go and have a drink. If she's falling out with a boyfriend, she'll stay till four in the morning just to piss him off even more or that's the kind of thing and she's got that from me and I feel bad about it I feel bad because I see how anxious she is and that she will drink to get through that anxiety on a night out do you know what I mean oh you you have broken well you have you already have right because what she sees now is you that don't do those things so with any luck she'll come to the realization sooner than you did that this isn't gonna serve her I think I can see Beth sober I can see her sober she does actually say a lot like when I have children and this I feel really bad and she never means it like this right but she'll say things like when I have children I'll definitely go sober at that point I don't want them to be brought up that's what the twins said isn't it yeah in that kind of atmosphere and as a mum I suppose I can't help think ah she means the atmosphere that I brought her up in like yeah, she I get that. Different. But then I'm really proud of her for being able to have that conversation with me and change that cycle. But yeah. also I can't help but feel really shit about it. But she can have that conversation with you because you're sober. If you were still drinking, she wouldn't know that there was an alternative. She wouldn't know that there was another. She would see what your your life, drinking life, as normal and that's what she was going to do. So you have broken the cycle because she's already questioning it. Yeah, that's true. And my but, 15-year-old, to be fair, sees sees things very that's like my 14 year old and I think that's where the impact is and all right we can't get it right every single time but you know what as well stop being angry at yourself and be angry at the kind of society societal norms and how the alcohol industry has managed to normalize us living like this and you know dealing with stress with a a glass of wine I remember honestly when I felt stressed even the clunk clunk of the pouring would make me feel relaxed well you know what this is because actually let's get mad then I'm happy to get mad about it because this is one how our workplace talk started because we got mad and we wanted to kind of show people that it wasn't their fault, that it was actually ingrained in us from being a very young age, that when you're 18, you're a man, when you go and have a pint at the bar with your dad or, you know, things like that, unless you're a girl. And then I know, you're... I was just thinking, how <laughs> man when we're not? But anyway, go for it, it's fine. It's actually quite apt because we're talking about men in this episode. Yeah. Carry on. When you were a man, rah, 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 that was in your head. It was purposeful. It was yeah. purposeful. Yeah. It was my sixth sense. But yeah, like, I am mad about it, actually, that we think that we've got to do that. But because I went on a run about that, I forgot what I was at. You're mad at the alcohol industry. You're mad at the fact oh. that it's been normalised for you to do it. And then now you've fallen into that trap and you didn't know there was an alternative. That's what you're mad at. I've got it. And the glug glug that you were saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like on soap operas. Yeah. Knowing, like, I don't watch 
television like that anymore at all, actually, since getting sober, another benefit of it. But when I was younger and used to put... You mean actually living real life instead of living in a soap life? Yeah, it's weird. It's true. But things like Coronation Street and EastEnders, and they would use, like, they would have certain people with that was an alcoholic. So they'd all be going in the Rover's Return every single night after work drinking, but only Peter Barlow was an alcoholic. All the others were just normal drinkers, apparently. So then they'd show him having a stressful day at work, pouring the wine in, and and then they would show his relief of drinking that wine. So that's what people are watching every day. The same on that EastEnders one as well. They're all alcoholics. Yeah. They pub every single day well, and night. It was a glug glug, wasn't it? And, and the way they show him yeah. greedily drinking it, like most of us... Yeah. Don't greedily drink like that. I just used to hear the glug glug and think, oh, that's good. And then I would quite, I would sip it, at least the first one, and then I'd start getting a bit wild, a bit lamey, <laughs> wasting my 30s. <laughs> I know. I'm so sh- I'm embarrassed about my 30s. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed that I spent a lot of time looking in the bottom of toilets. Uh, I did. I spent a lot of time with a headache, looking in the bottom of the toilet, or falling over in bars. Like, I had a vision of you, like then looking over a toilet, me dunking your head. <laughs> I don't think you've ever done that. But honestly, um, like, one of my most embarrassing moments, which doesn't sound a big deal, because I've definitely done more embarrassing things, was walking down the steps of that club and standing at the bottom of it in Cyprus, and actually just doing a full t- fall. Like I didn't stumble, I didn't trip, I just. <laughs> Could not stand up. So I was stood and I did like, you know, leaning tower of Pisa move. When I didn't even put my arms out. I just like fell and fell flat on my face. And then when I looked up, it was students helping me up to my feet. Oh, that's how that worked out. Well, I was never a big faller, but I always remember my friend Katie falling from the dance floor in the Falcon. <laughs> The Why is that funny? Why is that funny? It is funny though. Falling down steps. And I remember thinking, God, I bet she's well embarrassed when she wakes up. As if I haven't done anything more embarrassing than that. I've done loads of stupid shit. I really have. But yeah, back to toxic masculinity, which is like this idea that to be a man, you have to kind of go out and brawl and drink a pint after work and all that. Tell us about today's guest. So today we've got Justin Long. He's an author, a business owner and the host of the podcast Straight from the Horse Doctor's Mouth, which he actually produces with his wife. His best-selling book series, The Adventures of the Horse Doctor's Husband, has been enjoyed by readers all over the world. While his wife's mission is to make the world a better place for horses, Justin's mission is to make the world a better place for people by combating Oh, I can't even speak it. Toxically, oh, please, will you say that bit for me, Alec? Combating toxic masculinity. It's because in the bio that we've got here, it doesn't say that. Oh, well, I didn't even read it. It It makes sense what we've just said. Toxically. So, like, it can't say things like that to me. Anyway, by combating toxic masculinity, ideas surrounding men and their emotions. His current book, The Righteous Rage of a Ten-Year-Old Boy, is a raw, intense examination of his childhood, the traumatic events that formed his negative self-image and his journey through therapy to overcome it all. There's a lot of words there. I get why you're stumbling, Lisa. I'm sorry, there's just so many words. <laughs> I don't know what I've said. Yeah, no, I won't worry about it. You said what it, you said what we needed to say. Don't worry about it. It's Here's coming in. Here's Justin. 
Hi, Justin. Welcome to our podcast. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you all? Good, good. Can we just ask, have we made the same mistake we make all the time and got you up at some ridiculously early hour or is it okay? It's 1.30 in the morning. Oh, oh my God. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's 7.30 in the morning. I'm fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Just to set the tone a little bit. We did actually do that once, though, and this this mother and son came on, and they got up at like 3.30 in the morning, and we felt <laughs> awful. We were like, please, you could email us. It's like, it's all day here. We've got 12 hours. It's fine. <laughs> we didn't realise till the end, though. <laughs> no, no of course. finished it, and they looked really presentable as well. Not like I look at 3.30 in the morning, put it that way. Right. So, <laughs> well, we're all people pleasers. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings by complaining. It's so true. Very true. true. (laughs) When we first heard from you, honestly, the the bio that you sent really grabbed us. First of all, the the horse doctor thing. And then second of all, the toxic masculinity thing. We were just like, right, we need to speak to Justin. And I've read a very small section of your book. I do intend to finish it. And I want you to know that because it is very, very good what I've read so far. Um, Love it. But yeah, life gets in the way. And I know you said, just read a few chapters and that'll set the tone of the book. So I took your advice. That's what I did. And it's Perfect. evident on there that your kind of journey has been quite complicated from day one. It, it's, it's been quite complicated. Yeah, it's been long. <laughs> yeah, long and complicated. So can you tell us as briefly, but as you know, compactly as possible about your journey and what's gone on? Just for people who haven't read the book. Yeah. So... I came from a a very emotionally dysfunctional household as a child. And, you know, everything that I know about myself, I know in retrospect. So, you know, I thought my journey started when I turned 32 back in 2008 when I got sober. But the farther forward I come, the farther back that I'm going to understand all of the things that got me to, to where I was when I started drinking and why I did all that in the beginning. So now I understand that my dad's rageaholic and workaholic attitudes where he just ruled me with the iron fist and could never be pleased really taught me that I, I can't do anything right. And, you know, one of his things was, you know, he had a big long task list for me every day when I got home from school. And one of the things on there was chopping firewood and stacking firewood so that we could heat the house. And, and he would come home and we would go check out all the work that I did. And then I would get punished for all the sticks that were sticking out of line a little bit or, you know, whatever my tasks were, the the shortcomings in there, I would get punished for every day. And so, you know, as a as a young kid, that I believed that I couldn't I couldn't do anything right. I believed that I was going to fail no matter what, and no matter how hard I worked, I was going to get punished. And my mom, my mom was a complete mess on the other end of the spectrum. You know, she was uh, she was suicidal at times throughout her life. She was never ever comfortable with who she was, and. But she was not a disciplinarian. So one of her things for me when I would be bad was that she would make me pull in the big trash can from outside and I would sit in that trash can until my dad got home to spank me whenever I was in trouble. And so, you know, both of my primary caregivers are teaching me things about myself that I took to be true. And I didn't know until I was 40 years old that that those things weren't true. And it took me a, a lot of a lot of time and, and therapy and and guidance and and insights from people outside of me to help me see all of these things that I spent my whole life believing that I'm I'm worthless that I've got no value and when I found alcohol that made me feel okay I felt plugged in like I had a place for the first time and that was a great tool for me and I used it for a long time but and then you know when my life fell apart I thought that you know stopping the alcohol would fix those things. 
And it made me feel better for a little while. But when I was two years sober, I realized that I still hate myself and I still have a horrible negative opinion of who I am. And like, I didn't feel any better about that, you know, at two years sober than I did in the worst days of my drinking. And I, like, that, that can't be all there is. There has to be more. And so my journey led me to therapy through the help of a really good sponsor that helped me break down some, some barriers that I had against that stuff. And, and in therapy, I've learned that all of the truths that I know about myself aren't actually true. And I've been able to reshape my understanding of who I am and who I've always been. We'll get back to our chat shortly. But first, let us tell you a bit more about our BFFs at Wise Bartender. <laughs> yes, they are. So Wise Bartender actually has the biggest selection of alcohol-free drinks in the whole wide world. And this week, we got to try the Guinness. I'm lying, right, because I don't like Guinness. So I didn't actually try it, but I do need to tell you that one of my friend's husbands loves Guinness and I actually gave him a couple of cans and he loves it and says it's really like the real thing. So I'd rather go off his opinion than mine. What did you think? It looks like Guinness, it pours like Guinness, you have it in a Guinness glass and it tastes like Guinness and that's the truth and my husband loves it as well and it's his first choice in alcohol free drink so another big thumbs up. Um, you can buy this and more at wisebartender.co.uk and as always use Be Sober 5 for your cheeky 5% discount. You know what? The way you tell that is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It is really good. Can we talk about therapy a little bit, actually? Because in your book, you actually talk about the idea that a man, real men, being tough and not asking anyone for anything. You feel that that kept you originally from even considering therapy for a really long time. So would you mind like talking to us a little bit about that? And of course, tell us about the work that you're now doing to kind of change the conversation around that. Yeah, I I absolutely had a, a horrible mindset about that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of that goes back to my dad, too, that, you know, everything that I know to be true, I learned from my parents. Right. And my dad never accepted help from anybody for anything. So he he, and I used to think that he was amazing and knew how to do everything because he was his own mechanic, his own carpenter, his own electrician. Like if anything broke, he fixed it. He never, never paid anybody to do anything. And and so I grew up with the understanding that, that you don't ask other people for help. Yeah. for anything. And then, you know, just our society in general really amplifies that in that men have to be the provider. Men have to be strong. Men are never weak or show that they have any doubts or any of that stuff. And and I think that was one of my big problems as a young adult and why alcohol made me feel so much better about myself is because on the inside, I did not feel strong. I didn't feel capable. I didn't know all the things. I'd helped my dad do all these things all all my life, but I didn't know how to do any of them because I was just the one holding the flashlight or going to get the wrench or whatever. And so I felt like I I didn't have what it took to to be a air quotes man because I, I I didn't have all the stuff and I wasn't tough. And you know, because my dad cowed me every time that we had a confrontation, I, I didn't believe that I could stand up to anybody. So I, I didn't have the self-confidence. I didn't have anything that I looked around and saw other guys seeming to have. But I know now that I was comparing my insides to everybody else's outsides. And that's why I lost every time because everybody wears the mask. Everybody pretends like everything's great and, and that we're all perfectly fine and strong and tough and that we can handle anything. 
But the truth is men are just as, as messed up, you know, as, as, you know, other men are just as messed up as I am. So was, I've come to learn. And I didn't understand that until I went to a recovery program and, and listened to men actually talking about feelings and having negative feelings about themselves. Like that blew me away. That was the first time in my life I ever heard a man talk about not feeling good enough or hating himself or, you know, that kind of stuff, all the stuff that I've been feeling my whole life, but never realized that anybody else felt that. So, so I had to, I had to get past a lot of that stuff and it took, it took years. You know, my, my primary sponsor, I had a few sponsors in the beginning of sobriety, but the, the guy that I finally locked in with was a, I think he was like 73, 74 years old when I met him, but he was an old gay one-eyed Apache Vietnam veteran yoga instructor. Like it's like the Kung Fu guy, like so much Zen wow. and knowledge and just presence, right? Like he was incredible, but I had to overcome all of these ideas that I had about gay people and people that don't look like me and people that think different than me. And he helped me examine all of those beliefs that I held about these things and understand why I believe them. And when we started looking at that stuff, every one of those beliefs I, I examined, I realized I don't actually believe that. I've just been carrying this around because I got it from somebody else that looked tough or I got it from my dad, you know? So when I started really taking apart why I believe what I believe, I ended up changing my beliefs about just about everything. And therapy was one of those things. It was interesting what you said before about um, alcohol. You actually said it was a useful tool. And I, and I, I coach people and actually say this to them. I say to them that it works. For a while, alcohol does the job. And when you haven't got any other tools and you want to soothe or you want to fit in or you want to have confidence or whatever it is you're looking for, it's pretty good at doing it. So when you take that away, it doesn't surprise me that two years later, you're left with this gap of, right, well, what do I do with all this stuff now? Right, right. I used alcohol and I used uh, cigarettes. I smoked for 15 years too. And I used both of those things the exact same way. And it was because I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to be okay with the way that I feel. So anytime I had a feeling... I would smoke a cigarette or I would drink something and that would change the way that I feel. And one thing I don't think it's talked about near enough in recovery rooms is, is you got to learn how to feel. You got to learn how to be. And I didn't have that for those first two years. So I was just, I'd given up all of my coping tools and I still had all the problems. And I think that that's a, a huge reason for relapse is that we don't address the problems that, that drove us to the, the point that we were at to begin with. Did you use this 12-step program at the beginning then? I did. I was in AA for, for a long time. And obviously that got you sober, as in physically sober, but the emotional repair happened later is kind of where you're going with that. Yeah. Well, my, my sponsor, Roland, he took me, he had a workbook by a guy named Patrick Carnes. And the book is called A Gentle Path Through the 12 Steps. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that. But it's... um. It, it's an incredible workbook where, you know, especially on steps six and seven, where I breezed through that in 10 minutes when I did it, you know, previously, we spent like four months on steps six and seven. And that was when I learned how to really self-examine and, and become self-aware, learn how to figure out the why behind the what, you know, why am I doing behavior happening what what emotion is triggering that what insecurities are triggering that emotion what negative self-belief do i have that, that's being triggered by those insecurities that's driving these behaviors and that is where all the real change started to happen for me is, is getting getting way down deep on the inside of things and understanding that you know i am reacting to this way like for example you know when my boss says 
Justin, you inventoried the pipe last week, but you you forgot to count the two inch pipe. And I take that as a as a personal assault. I mean, I'm ready to go hand to hand combat with this guy to defend my honor when that has nothing to do with the situation. That's an insecurity of my dad, you know, beating me up for for supposed shortcomings on things that I have this big whole giant negative mess in my head about anybody that brings any sort of fault that I have to light. And so I have to realize that that's what's happening in these moments and and that I don't want to overreact in a way that's not appropriate to the situation. My, my goal is to be able to say, I missed that two inch pipe. I'm sorry about that. I will get that fixed today. And until I become self-aware and understand why I am not doing that, then I don't have any way to fix that. And so that's what the workbook did for me. And, and that, that led into basically a lifestyle of, of self-discovery and continued self-improvement and trying to be more self-aware and understand not just what drives me, but, but how, how I impact the people around me and the world around me. And therapy has really taken me a long ways down that road. And to, to the point that I, I am excited when I find new things that I can work on rather than horrified that somebody knows something negative about me. Honestly, about being excited to work on it. Because I was thinking then, some people, when you talk about self-development and learning all these things about yourself, it can be really frightening that, can't it? And exhausting sometimes. Oh, in the beginning, it's overwhelming, overwhelming. And it's about attitude, though. Like, I, I really had to, to make sure that my attitude was one of, of welcoming the, the negative insights for the purpose of, of positive reconstruction of who I am. And, and it takes a long time to, to develop that where it becomes automatic. You know, I had sticky notes all over the, my house for, for two or three years, reminding myself every time I look in the mirror, when I get my coffee cup, that, that you know, th- this is what I'm doing and it's on purpose and it's okay. And it's going to be uncomfortable and that's okay too. Like it takes a lot of self-training to get to there. So I think in the beginning, you really have to give yourself a break that you're going to have bad reactions to this stuff and that's okay. It's part of the process. and the, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, a lot of people we work with, they kind of understand what alcohol's doing to them. They understand that it's knocking their confidence or it's holding them back or they don't have the tool to deal with their anxiety. Um, and that's why they get sober. But with you, it seems to have happened the other way around, that you kind of got sober and then realised that all these things were were missing. So mm. can I be nosy and ask you, what what exactly was it that made you think, you know what, I'm going to get sober? I think it was as much out of just I have a, I have a hard I have so many things to try to fit into a sentence here. Part of it is <laughs> so that, go with a know, few sentences. Let's do it. Let's yeah. go break it down. <laughs> you know, for the last couple of years of my drinking, I was I was in a relationship that I did not belong in, so I wasn't happy at home. I had a job that I really did not like. I had a horrible confrontation with my supervisor because of all those insecurities that I was talking about. And he had all those same insecurities. So we butted heads all day, every day, because both of us needed to dominate each other. And it's just an insanity workplace. So so I had that going on. I, I was miserable at work. I was miserable at home. I hated who I was. And my activities when I was drinking just kept me draped in the shame blanket 24-7. And I just, I didn't want to go on. Like I wasn't quite committed to, to killing myself, 
but I, I was also not committed to continuing this lifestyle any longer either. Like something had to give. And I worked with a guy who accepted me for who I was. And so I gave him all the credibility in the world. And we used to, to sit and, and sweat out our hangovers together in the morning and talk about, you know, all of our challenges that we're dealing with. And, and one day he mentioned that he was thinking about going to a meeting and I had no concept of what that was, but if, if he was willing to do it, then I was willing to do it because, you know, I, I took my, my opinion of who I was from what he thought of me. So I wanted to do whatever he wanted to do, which in retrospect is really sad and pathetic. But at the time it got me where I needed to be because it got His me job. into a yeah. meeting. Yeah. So but it was, it was just a, a miserable life that I didn't want to continue. And do you really firmly believe that it's the toxic masculinity that's the main, the main thing here that's holding men stuck in their recovery? I think it is so difficult for guys to admit that there's something wrong with them. And, you know, as a society, we've made it a suicide mission for, for anybody to, to say to anybody else, look, I, I don't feel good about who I am. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to keep living like this. I don't want to keep living you know, whatever, whatever the, the thing is, you know, it's, you're going to be rejected by your peers. No woman is going to want to have anything to do with you. And if you don't have a woman in a good job, then you have no value as a man, right? All of these, all of these supposed external things that give a man value that don't really in reality, but that's what we're taught. And, and until we know different, that's all we have to, to go on. And I think that it's really important for guys to understand what it is that gives you value as a human being and as a person and as a man and what doesn't give you value and what doesn't take that value away. And admitting the truth about who you are does not diminish you in any way. And if we look at all of the people that we admire the most in society, it's the ones who are vulnerable and open about who they are. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't emulate that. We emulate the people that are underneath them pretending to be someone that they're not. <laughs> true it's like I, I could listen to you all day and i'm sure there's loads i really could listen to what you've got to say about this questions because i'm just so i'm like engrossing that oh yeah it's like jaw dropping because the way you're saying it is the way that i think it and can't articulate <laughs> it's, it's like it's coming out like perfectly like if if somebody's really struggling right now and um, let's go with men as well because we like to we do like to treat the men and be sober as, as in a separate category because I'll tell you why with with um, a lot of the women in our groups will kind of recognize that something is going wrong and take preventative action mm -hmm. whereas many of the men for reasons you've probably already talked about will wait until they hit that rock bottom and then go oh excuse the phrase oh shit like I'm here now I, mm -hmm. I need to get out of this hole so what we find with our men is they will hold back and they will be you know so we have a men's group we're building the men's group. It's only got a few people going to it. They don't feel maybe as safe opening up as the women do. But somebody now, they're going through what you went through. They're, they're, they know their life's in a really bad place. They're trying to give up drinking. They're struggling with emotions. What kind of top tips for recovery can you give them? I would say first and foremost, be willing to change your mind about everything that you believe to be true. Because everything in life is relative and all of our, our knowledge and experiences have taught us very particular things, but it's such a narrow perspective, no matter who you are and what sort of education and experience you've had, you have a very narrow perspective on the world. And when you can open up to let someone else give you some insights from their perspective, 
and you can see a, a different angle of your truth and and that makes it bigger and stronger and you get a, a, a better understanding of, of what it is and just all of all of the changes that I've made to my belief system have improved my life so dramatically. I think that's the most important thing that I have done has been willing to change my mind about everything that I believe. Next to that is just being willing to be uncomfortable during the process. Yeah. I think that's, you know, not expecting overnight results and, and just being like, we're miserable anyway. We're suffering all day, every day anyway. So suffering through a, a change to something better isn't isn't a bad thing. You know, it's it's different and different is good. You hear that, don't you, about sitting with your feelings, but actually we don't know how to do that. We say it. We're really good at saying let's just sit with our feelings. But when you've no strategy for working through those feelings or sitting with them other than alcohol, what you know, what do you do? Where do you go? It, I think well, that was a big question for me. <laughs> Sorry, when we're talking about it, we try and when you were saying about people masking before, it's something that we do. We get a bad feeling and we immediately try everything to kind of get rid of it, don't we? We mask it. We don't want it. We want it out of our minds, out of our bodies. So we kind of don't ever really learn to sit and think, where is this coming from? And what shall I do about it? Or just, yeah. It's really hard. And, yeah, and just... We, we have this belief that something horrible will happen if someone else knows that that thought is yeah. in our head, you know, but I tell you what, I wrote this book and all of my deepest, darkest secrets are out there for the entire world to read. I've been on all kinds of podcasts talking about all of, all of my secrets. And the more I put this stuff out for the world to hear, the less power those things have over me. Yeah. And I think that, that being intentionally vulnerable and, and exposing all of the, the things that I thought would wreck me, have made me much stronger in character than I ever was before when I was trying to hide all those things. So my next question actually was going to be, and going back to what we'd said about changing conversations and like, you know, you're obviously doing an amazing job of that with the book and the podcast appearances. Can you tell our listeners, you know, where they can find you, what kind of work you're doing? Cause I really think people would be very interested to hear more from you. Please tell us about your podcast that you do. Oh with, yeah. Uh, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the main part of my life is, is all wrapped around an, an equine veterinary clinic. So my, my wife is an incredible horse doctor and I have a couple of books called the adventures of the horse doctor's husband, where I talk about all the crazy emergencies and, and exciting things that I've gotten to do being married to her. And we have a podcast called straight from the horse doctor's mouth, which is all about horse healthcare for people who own horses and want to know more about how they work because horses are very different from dogs and cats and they're the deck is stacked against them. Kind of like the deck was stacked against us. So I, I think maybe I have a, a personal relationship there, but, but that's, that's mostly what I do. But my website is jboydlong.com and all of my books are listed on there. I have, I have seven books so far, wow. but I have a, a blog on there too, with a lot of personal development stuff and, and thoughts and ideas. And, and, one of the things that I love about my blog is that if you go back and read some of the very early ones, they're in conflict with some of the more recent ones because I've, I've grown and I've learned things and I've changed my mind. And I, I leave that there because I think that's an important demonstration of, of the importance of, of continuing to grow and embracing the change. But yeah, everything about me is on my website, links to my, uh, my, my podcast and my social media and all that stuff is on there. I love that. I look back at blogs that I wrote in my early sobriety and I'm like, who was she? <laughs> I just don't even believe what I'm saying anymore. It's crazy, but I know that writing for me used to kind of 
and obviously I've, I've not written books, but I used to love it. And it was a real good therapy for me, kind mm-hmm. of out onto the screen or onto paper. So I just think it's amazing that people can turn that into real life books that people read. So <laughs> Yeah, now writing is super therapeutic, but also I think it's important in regards to looking back on stuff and just being embarrassed about where we were at certain points. I think that's a, the positive side of that is that it's a great demonstration of growth. Yeah. Like if, if I was still where I was 10 years ago, like that would be horrible because I didn't know anything compared to what I know now. But hopefully 10 years from now, I look back on this conversation like, oh, man, I didn't know anything back then. <laughs> yeah, I want, you know, you, you do want to do that. We, we do it with our first episodes. There's no way we could listen back to our first episodes of the podcast <laughs> now. It's like embarrassing. It's like, no, I'm not that person. I don't even believe that. I didn't believe it then. Right. I don't even believe stuff I said last week. Never mind. I'm like, I've changed since then. That was a different person. (laughs) I'm going to pass your details on to a lady that I coach who is an equestrian trainer and an equestrian trainer's coach. And something that she said to me really hit a chord, and I bet you'll get this. And she said, you know, horses are very much like humans and they feed off whatever that human is going through. So if if you're lacking confidence, your horse is going to throw you off. (laughs) I like it just really interests me that you said horses are not like cats and dogs so I was wondering whether that's what you meant (laughs) (laughs) well in a lot of ways but yeah we've got a a thoroughbred downstairs that is my wife says that we have the exact same personality and that's why we don't get along but I hate him (laughs) and he hates me but it's probably for the same reasons you know (laughs) you're in competition with your toxic masculinity that's what it is Justin (laughs) exactly yeah we're both sensitive we're both afraid the other one's got the the better hand with Erica and you know it's it's ridiculous but oh that's (laughs) before we do go Justin um, we always ask our members this and one of our be sober quotes is be brave be kind and be sober motto not a quote sorry but um what we want to ask you is which do you most relate to right now of them and why i would say be brave and i think it's it's because of what we talked about you know of of owning who i am and who i've been and and the things that i've done and not being ashamed of that anymore but but recognizing that as the necessary path to get me to where i am and i'm in a great place and i feel like i'm going in a good direction but if I hadn't been brave enough to face that and just just stayed hiding like I did for most of my life, I wouldn't be enjoying any of the things that I enjoy today. I think you are really brave, you know, just listening you to you today and actually what you did go through and now helping so many other people. But all the work that you've done on yourself is just incredible and it's going to help so many other people. So I think you chose a real good one for you there. It really does resonate with you. So thank you so much. We will get all your links out on the podcast. We'll share the episode with you over email when it goes out. It'll be um, early in the new year at some point, but we will get we will definitely get all that over to you. You've been a fantastic guest for us. Very different than the, some of the other guests we've had on. So it, it's really going to be a good listen to episode this. And I hope that especially our men, we'll share this in the men's group. I hope especially our men take note and start speaking about their feelings and stop trying to compete with them. So thank you. Um, again, you've been an amazing guest. Well, thank you all so much for having me on the show. I think this is a really important discussion to have, and I appreciate you putting it out there.
Big thanks to Wise Bartender for sponsoring this episode. If you're experimenting with different alcohol-free drinks and don't want to buy a whole case, Wise Bartender honestly has the largest selection of single bottles ever. So you can have lots of fun trying loads of different drinks or even buy one of their special gift packs. Don't forget to use your 5% discount code BSOBER5 at wisebartender.co.uk. And if you want to find out more about the work we do or you want to join our amazing community here at Be Sober, you can find out more on our website www.besoberofficial.com. Until next time, be brave, be kind and be sober. Be sober.